Just very quickly this morning, let me ask you a question. How many of you took some cards like this this last week? How many of you gave a card away this week? Okay, we lost a few hands. You know, the reason behind these cards is not just more stuff, but rather to make it a point to have something in our hands that reminds us that we need to be on mission. We need to be either sharing Christ or inviting people to come to a place where they can be engaged in a gospel conversation that includes a message of Jesus Christ that has the ability to change their lives and their eternal destination. This morning, I want us to talk for a few minutes about what it means to be lost. Because you see, when I read the Gospels, I read about Jesus coming, searching, looking for the lost. If you brought a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, the 19th chapter. We're going to just look at one verse as a kind of a launch point for this morning. But while you're turning there, I just want to tell you, lost has become a lost word in many churches today. Most preaching and teaching focuses on subjects that are more pleasant, more popular, more palatable than sin and lostness and our human need. The tragedy of that is that this lost word, lost, keeps many people lost. Because until you know you're lost, you don't understand your need to have a Savior in your life. People need to know what it means to be lost. And they need to understand how serious it is to be lost. Jesus understood it. And that's why he came to seek and to save what was lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. We're going to look at that in just a moment. But before we do, let's set the stage. Most of you know it. Jesus was traveling. He's passing through the city of Jericho. And there in Jericho is a man who is small of stature, but large in wealth and impact. His name is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was one of the chief tax collectors. He was a man of influence, a man of power. When he spoke, people heard what he had to say. Now, not everybody liked him. Most of us don't like tax collectors. But he was a man of influence. He'd been hearing as he was working with people, he'd been hearing reports about this itinerant preacher, this guy named Jesus, a rabbi who was traveling from village to village and city. Miraculous things were happening. And he thought, I got to see what this guy looks like. But again, Zacchaeus had a problem. He was small of stature. So when the day came that Jesus was passing through the city of Jericho, Zacchaeus went to see what all of the ruckus was about, and he saw the crowds of people that had lined the streets, and he knew he would never get close enough. And so he climbed up in a tree. You remember the story. He climbed up the tree. He got out over the street where he could see Jesus. And oh my goodness, what a surprise. Jesus is walking through. The people are clamoring. Everything's going on. And Jesus stops dead in his tracks underneath and looks up and calls him by name. Zacchaeus, come down. I need to go to your house. I'm going to spend the evening with you. We're going to break bread together. 
Well, if you remember the story, Zacchaeus was moved by what Jesus did. He brought his friends in. Of course, the religious folks, they were all shook up. You know, here's Jesus again. He's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. But at the end of that night, Zacchaeus professed his faith in announcing his changed heart and life. And that sets the stage for this verse. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, a verse that you probably know by heart. I pray that you do. If you do not, I pray that it will be stored upon your heart today so that you will never forget it. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. If you've got your Bible open there, I know it's brief. I know it's short, but would you stand with me in honor of our heavenly father as we read from his inspired word? Luke records the words of Jesus in the home of Zacchaeus that night saying, for the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. I heard one amen, so let's try this again. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's us. Let's pray together. Father, how thankful we are that in your love you sent your son Jesus to search us out. To make to us the most incredible offer known to man. And to take those who would receive that offer and bring them back to you. Father, I pray that this morning as we spend these few moments together that you would speak your truth into our hearts and our lives. Help us to understand again what it means to be lost. How important it is that we be found. Show us your truth, Father. We're ready to listen. For we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Is it really that important to talk about what it means to be lost? I think Jesus would say yes. He spent quite a bit of time talking about it. In Luke chapter 15, one of the most famous chapters in Scripture, there are three parables about lostness. You remember? There's a parable about a lost sheep and the shepherd who went looking. There's a parable about a lost coin and a woman who turned her house upside down until she found that coin. And then there's the parable of a son who lost his way and a father who loved him and waited and watched for his return day in and day out until he finally arrived back home. I think it's important to understand what it means to be lost. And I think many people have lost that understanding. And so let's try to, if we can, just engage it for a few moments and try to figure out what it means to be lost, not based upon my definition, not based upon what I would tell you, but rather based upon the Word of God. And having said that, I want to invite you, if you've got your Bible there with you, turn over to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. 
Because that's really, I mean, I wanted to set the stage with this whole concept of being lost. That's why Jesus came. But what does it mean when we say we're lost? What does it mean whenever Scripture says that we are lost? Well, Paul described it for us. And I want us to take it apart and look at it for a few moments if we can together. Let me just start out by by telling you this. I believe that to be lost is to be without hope. And those to me are powerful words given the world and the culture and the setting that we're living in today where so many people seem to have given up. So many people seem to have resolved that there is no hope, there is nothing good lying ahead of us, there is no positive outcome in this life or for our world. To be lost is to be without hope. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 2 of his letter, verse 12. I want you to look at that one verse with me. Because Paul explains what it means in his concept, in his heart, and in the mind of God to be lost. He said being lost is to be separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Without hope. In this context, the word hope is used as having to do with our eternal souls, with our spiritual condition. Hope is is that positive optimism that wells forth within our hearts, springing forth because we know that Jesus Christ is our Savior. We know that our sins have been forgiven. We know that we have been washed clean. Hope has to do with our sense of confidence, our sense of assurance that our salvation in him is real, it is certain, it is sure, it cannot be revoked, it will not be taken away. Paul wrote a lot about hope. In Colossians, he he mentioned it numerous times. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5, he wrote about the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel. He's telling you, the gospel is where you find hope. It's going to be fulfilled in heaven, but, but, but the gospel that you hear here and now, that's where it comes from. A little bit further over in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, he talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, when Christ is in you, you know what lies before you. So Christ in you is the hope of glory. As believers, we hold on to hope. We must. We are not called to be a defeated people. We are not called to be a negative people. We are called to be those who hold on to hope, knowing that no matter how bad things might become, no matter how far things may fall, our God is seated upon the throne. He has called us to be his children, and one day he is going to call us to dwell with him eternally in his home. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews brought this very thing out. He, he says that we hold on to this hope as an anchor for the soul because we know that it is firm and secure. It cannot be torn loose. For those who have placed their hope in Christ, there is nothing that will revoke though that hope. But for those who are lost, for those who are separated from God, Those who have never understood the truth of the gospel, its claim upon their life, they've never responded to that. They know nothing of this hope. They have no awareness or assurance of heaven. 
I'm blessed to get to deal with them. You do too. We just do it in different ways. Many of you work alongside them. They're, they're your family members. I, I work with them. They're my family members. They're my neighbors. But there have been those times when I get those phone calls and I, I get to go to a, a mortuary, meet with a family who has no church home. They have no religious background. But a loved one has passed and they want a preacher. They're grasping for hope. They're searching for something. They're, they're searching for anything that will give them some hope, some comfort, some sense of, of peace that they don't have. And folks, can I tell you something? Sometimes it, it's heartrending. It, it really is. They speak of, of their loved one who's deceased, of being in a better place, but they're uncertain. Because they don't know for sure about that better place or how one arrives there. They speak of, of seeing them again, but they're unsure that that's actually going to happen. And because of those uncertainties, because of those, those overwhelming doubts, I can say to you that being lost is being without hope. What an awful way to live life. That's kind of heavy stuff, preacher. Yeah, it is. But for those of us who are sitting in this room who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and have a confidence and an assurance about the future and what that holds, we should understand. We should understand the tragedy of lostness. To be lost is to be without hope. Back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. I also find this truth to be lost just to be without God. To be lost is to. Uh, did, did you see what Paul wrote? Look at that verse again. I changed the underline. <laughs> Being lost is to be separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without. God in this world without God what does life look like without God well Paul knew he remembered his past very well and he remembered what it was like for these folks in Ephesus when he got there and there weren't any believers and he began to share the gospel with them he knew how they were living their lives he knew what they were caught up in he reminded them in this verse that they too had been a people who were living without hope and without God. We who know Christ too often forget what it's like to be lost. What, it, what it's like to live in this state of hopelessness. We lose sight of that. But that condition, that situation of those who are living without God in this world, that describes the majority of the peoples around us. Now, let me just tell you something. For those who know Christ and for those who don't, life gets tough. I mean, Jesus himself said, look, it rains on the just and the unjust alike. No one's excluded from difficulties. No one is excluded from hard times. 
So basically, here it is. We all need God. But all of us would have to agree, there are times when we desperately need God. There are times when emotional stress arises and runs high. There are times when when financial downfalls loom before us. There are times when accident or injury or illness or disease creep into our lives and our hope is under attack. There are those times when we look around and we see our families in crisis and and maybe our families or the families of those that we love who are connected to us, we, we see them and it's as if they're teetering on the brink of destruction and we know in our hearts and in our minds that we desperately need God. To those who know Christ, we know where to run, don't we? We run to him, we cry out to him, we lean hard into his arms. But I ask you, where do those who are lost go? Those who are separated from God, where do they go? To whom can they run for help? John chapter 6 is a chapter where Jesus is teaching a multitude of hard things. I mean, he was covering the tough stuff. You know, sometimes we get into the flow and, and we're just, we're doing the, the easy stuff of Christianity. But Jesus start, started talking about the hard stuff. And we're told in John chapter 6 that a lot of people started to, to drift away. They liked the easy believism. They liked the easy following. They liked the easy Christianity. But man, when it started getting hard, he's staying the tough stuff. A lot of people start going home saying, I, I, I'm not going to listen to that preacher anymore. He's saying things I don't like. The crowds began to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And Jesus was addressed about that by his disciples. And he looked at Peter and he said, Peter, do you want to go home too? And Peter said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else do we go? Where else do we look? He said, Lord, To whom shall we go? You have the words of life. That's where the hope's at. In times of desperation and need, those who believe in Jesus Christ, those who have a relationship with their heavenly Father through the Son, flee to the Lord. The lost have nowhere to turn. They have no one to whom they can go. How tragic it is. To be in that condition, to be in that situation. How many times have I had the conversation with with people and and, and it's come down to, preacher, I don't know how you survive these times. I don't know how people get through these times without having a church family. I don't know how people get through these times without being able to call upon the Lord. I don't know how people survive this. They don't know any different. Do you know why? Why? Because they're lost. And to be lost is to be without hope. To be lost is to be without God in this world. But let me tell you one more thing about being lost. To be lost is to be without eternal life. If you've got your Bible open to Ephesians, I want you to go back to the beginning of chapter 2. I want you to see 
what Paul said as he started this chapter. And he was addressing his readers there in Ephesus. He described their spiritual condition, but the reality is he was describing all of our spiritual condition apart from Christ. He said to them, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. You were dead. See, that's... We need to understand, Paul wanted them to understand, wants us to understand what it means to live apart from Christ. Living apart from Christ is death. Please understand what I'm saying, folks. I'm not saying this because I want to. I'm not saying this because it's comfortable. I'm not saying this because it's going to be popular. It's not, but it is the truth. You see, here's the reality. The wages of sin is death, and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, this is the human condition. We are separated from God. We are without him in this world, and we are without him in the next life if we do not come to him through Christ. Why? Because someone had to pay the price for that sin. We can't do it. I can't. You can't. None of us in this room can. All of us together corporately in this room, we cannot. The price had to be paid with the blood of a perfect, unflawed, unblemished, spotless lamb. The Gospel of John. There's John the Baptist down in the river, by the river. Here comes Jesus down the hillside. You remember John's proclamation? Behold, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knew Jesus is that perfect, unblemished, spotless Lamb of God. Only Jesus would do. Only Jesus could suffice to pay the price for our sin. John saw him and John knew. Do you think John really believed that? Absolutely. I want to show you something. I think that John the Baptist believed that when he said it. I believe that John the disciple believed it when he penned it. But I think that his conviction of that truth for John the disciple became stronger and stronger and stronger with each passing year of his life. And finally, he comes to a place in his life as an elder statesman of the church. He sits down and he pens three little epistles, three letters of encouragement to the church. They're in the back of your New Testament. You find 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John, Jude, Revelation. If you've got your Bible there, if you would like to look, I want to invite you, go back to 1st John and look at chapter 5. I want you to see what John said here in the late days of his life. He wanted to be sure that those who were going to read his words, the churches, the congregations that were going to have this letter circulated among them. He wanted to make sure that they got this truth. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. 
God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Folks, can it be said any simpler? Look at that. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. What he's saying is if you've got Jesus, you've got life. You've got life with hope. You've got hope with the Father. You've got eternal life. It is all yours through Jesus Christ. But if you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. There's not any other way to get it. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't be good enough to deserve it. It comes only through Jesus. It is, as it says in the letter to the Romans, it is the gift of God. Eternal life. Life without end. Infinity. I mean, there are so many different words, and I keep dragging them all out and unpacking them and trying to look at them and figure out, what does this mean? How do we understand this? We've tried to figure out, how do we understand eternal? We use the word. We know the definition. But how do you comprehend that? I don't think it can be any more clear than this. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. We can praise him as long as we can imagine. And we've only begun. And even that is inadequate to understand eternity. My friend, do you have the assurance of eternal life this morning? You can have. Just let me make this as easy and as simple as I know how to this morning. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. We're all sinners. Not one more sin is needed for us to be lost forever. But Christ came and laid down his life for us. In fact, that's all you need to know. God, God showed his love for us. He revealed his love to us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So preacher, what's really in this thing? I mean... What's a sinner receive when they come to Christ for salvation? Forgiveness, cleansing, a new way of living life now, and a promise of living life eternally with him. 
Based upon what we've seen here this morning, they receive hope in the assurance of their salvation. They receive a relationship with God in this world and in the next, and they receive eternal life. And it's available and accessible to those who will confess their sin, repent, turn from it, and turn to Christ. And allow him to take control of our lives and be our Savior and our Lord. Would you do that? There's only one thing I can think of that's more tragic than being lost. And that is to be lost, to be told that one came seeking to save you, and how you can come into his possession, and that we would refuse to do it. There is the greatest tragedy. Are you without hope today? Are you without God in this world this morning? Is there a hunger in your heart for something that goes beyond this life and into the next? Jesus is seeking you this morning. Would you hear his voice? Would you come? Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of, of commitment. I, I want to give you the opportunity to respond to the Word of God and to the voice of God. And if you're here this morning and you know in your heart, having listened to what's been said, you know you're lost. You know you need a Savior. You know that you want that hope. You want that, that relationship with your Heavenly Father. You want to be His child today and forever. I want to invite you to come. Give your heart to Christ. Friend, hear me. This decision made once and for all at the calling of the Spirit of God will change your forever. Would you let him do that? It may be that you're looking at your life and you're saying, I did that so long ago, and, and yet look at my life today. Look at where things are. Look at how things are. I, friend, remember that, that lost son. The father's standing on the porch. He's watching. He's waiting for you to return. Would you come home to him? Would you come back? Offer yourself to him broken and humble and let him restore your relationship. Maybe you're looking for a way to connect to him, to his body, to his work. And God's brought you here to this place. This is where you think you're supposed to be. If he's calling you, obey him. All I ask is hear his voice, understand his love, and respond to his call. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. <laughs> it's a challenging word. It, it, it doesn't always say things that the world likes to hear. And we're part of that world. Sometimes the things that we read, the things that we hear, we think, well, they have no right to say that. But your word is a word of love, truth that calls and invites. But it challenges. 
demands change, calls for obedience and surrender. We struggle with that. And Father, this morning in this room, there may be those who are struggling. I pray for them. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would comfort them, ease their hearts, help them to just understand the truth and to understand how great your love for them is. Father, if there are those here that need a relationship with you, I pray that their spirit would call them to come to you through your son this morning. And Father, if there are your children here who, whose hearts and lives are broken, fractured, messed up, sin has taken hold, and everything's out of control again, I just pray that today they would realize that they can, that they have the opportunity to rise up and go to the Father. Draw them home, Father, and renew your relationship with them. Lord, I just pray, whatever you desire to do in each of our hearts and lives, it would be done, and it would be done for your glory and your honor alone. But we pray this in Jesus' name.